Hi, my name is Joe, and I want to tell you about my podcast that I host called Still Unknown, an unsolved true crime podcast. Every other Monday, I talk about a different unsolved murder, disappearance, or unexplained death in hopes that telling these stories will someday bring out the answers that these cases are desperately seeking. You can listen to Still Unknown wherever you are listening to this podcast here. And who knows, you may even be able to reveal the final pieces to help solve a case. So subscribe now to Still Unknown to hear a new case every other Monday, and let's try to solve some mysteries together. Welcome to Forensic Miles. I'm Miles. What's up, everybody? It's Sean here. And if you are new to the show, yay, we're so excited to have you. Forensic Miles is an unofficial companion podcast to the cult favorite show, Forensic Files. You've seen the show, you know the crime, but is there more to the story? There usually is. There you, there most definitely always is. Today we're covering the Forensic Files episode Step by Step, which is the murder of of Betty Lucas. Lucas, who was Betty Lucas's husband, owned an extremely successful real estate business that specialized in residential homes in Tyler, Texas. Um, Because of this, and because the way he ran his business, he was extremely well-liked, respected, and honestly loved by the entire community. So much, in fact, that they convinced him to run for mayor, and he ended up winning the election. He ended up serving as mayor for eight years from 1970 to 1978. Since the business was so successful, the Baker family was extremely wealthy. They consistently donated to charities and socialized a lot. Betty Lucas was even known as the First Lady of Tyler, which is kind of a cool nickname, I suppose. Seems pretty cool. She belonged to the Literary Club, the Garden Club, and, you know, a ton tons more um, social clubs. Unfortunately, on June 28, 1985, Baker Lucas was killed in a car accident. And it was honestly a terrible time for Betty. She loved her husband very much, and he loved her. Their relationship was always known to be, you know, a really loving and respected one. Um, People said that he would wait on her hand and foot and So when he died, you know, Betty was really lost and she didn't know what to do. She would be living by herself now, um, which was, you know, something she hadn't done in years. And they had this huge mansion that she was going to be living in. Stephen Lucas, their son, ended up taking over the family business, but it was nowhere near as successful as it had once been. You know, he ended up losing money and it wasn't a really him and his mother didn't really have a great relationship before this, but when she started to see how he was basically destroying the empire that his father had built. It seems like um, 
tough shoes to fill too. With exactly. His dad's reputation and absolutely everything in the community. Exactly. Baker had always been a really social and outgoing person, and Stephen was not that way. So there was really no way to compare the two of them. If this was a social business, he built it off his reputation, his personality, his reputation, or his relationships. There was just no way that Stephen would be able to be as successful. Three years after the death of Baker, on June 6, 1988, Betty fell down a flight of stairs and never woke up. She fell down the stairs, was rushed to the hospital, and put on life support. The next day, however, they took her off life support, and she ended up passing away. she the only one at the house when she fell down, I guess, and she lived there alone? We'll get there. Um, the day after uh, she had died, she was immediately buried. Everything happened like insanely quickly. Her closest friends didn't even find out about the funeral until last minute. It was all very kind of rushed and strange. Even her closest friends were completely surprised. She was a very, I mean, she was older, but she was very, you know, healthy for her age. She had never fallen down the stairs before. This isn't something that, that seemed right to them. It was very odd. But there was a witness to her fall. To answer your your question, she was not home alone. Hmm. There were actually two witnesses, her son, Stephen, and his daughter, Stephanie. The story goes that Betty was trying to carry this VCR, VCR up the stairs. And most of us don't have VCRs anymore. And if we do, they're probably part of our TV. But the VCR that she was carrying was huge. It was actually 20 to 30 pounds. So think about carrying this thing. That's 20 to 30 pounds. It's huge. It's metal. It's awkward to carry up a flight of stairs. Since she was elderly and relatively frail, Steve tried to take the VCR from her and carry it up the stairs for her, but she refused his help. Steve had followed her up the stairs, and at the top, he tried one more time to grab the VCR from her, and when he did, she jerked backwards and fell over the banister with the VCR in her hands and onto the lower stairs, sliding down the rest of the stairs. So, Betty didn't just fall down the stairs. There was this weird interaction, which is what caused her to fall down the stairs. And I know this is a little bit confusing, so check out our blog and our Instagram so that you can see what this staircase looks like, but I'm going to do my best to kind of describe it. Basically, the staircase sort of wraps around itself. So there is a staircase that goes up, and then there's a fast right turn, and then there's a balcony that is parallel to that staircase. Sean, I'm going to show you a picture of that now so you can kind of see what I'm talking about. There was no autopsy done because no one had any suspicion that anything had happened and, you know, it was caused by anything other than an accident. I mean, people do fall down the stairs. At the time, Betty was 66. It's not extraordinarily rare. No. Weirder things have happened. Weirder things have absolutely happened. Um, And so, you know, authorities didn't really put much more thought into it. 
Yeah, so basically she was walking up the steps. There's about 20 steps and then a little landing zone. And then she took a right turn and there's like five more steps to get up to the uh, the second store hallway. And then along there, there's a railing. So from the railing, there's about a three-foot gap. That goes and then all the, the way. stairs are down below that, the first set of steps. And the gap goes all the way down to the main floor. This will definitely make more sense if you look at the picture. <laughs> Although there was no formal investigation at this point, um, they did notice that there was like a framed picture kind of askew on the wall and that there was sort of this weird kind of like dent mark in the wall what is it called? Um, like the, the molding. Fi- the molding. Like the crowning. Crown yeah. The crown molding. There was like this weird dent in it, um, which they were they presumed was from the VCR because she did take the VCR with her on her fall. Huh. Yeah. So. Seems um, like if you're falling, that's you, you, you would drop that at some point. Yeah. If you like fall, it's your natural reaction to like brace yourself instead of holding on to the VCR and, and you, then you're going to land even harder. Right. So you want to drop that. With a 20. And then try to brace yourself. With a 20 to 30 pound VCR potentially landing on you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but still at this point, the police don't really see anything quite yet. After the funeral, the first responders decided to kind of speak up about the behavior that Stephen had been displaying at the time that they arrived to, you know, when when he had called 911. They said that when they when they arrived, he was acting suspiciously. Stephen was outside waiting for them, not inside with his mother. Now remember, when she fell, she was technically still alive. So why was he not in there trying to comfort her or give her CPR or wake her up or do something? Why was he standing outside doing nothing? Yeah. She was alive all the way to the point that they took her to the hospital. Hmm. The police department began to get a lot of calls, encouraging them to look a little bit deeper into Betty's death. Her friends didn't think this was an accident. They didn't believe that she would have just fallen like that. That's not the Betty that they knew. And they spoke up and they told the police department that they believed this was, in fact, a homicide. They received one specific call, and it was a friend of the family. And this friend strongly believed that Steve had something to do with it. And so investigators decided to exhume Betty's body. Hmm. It was a good thing they did because what they found was not what they were expecting and not what was typical of a fall down the stairs. Betty had six crescent-shaped lacerations on the back of her head. This was crucial because there was nothing on the stairs or the balcony or the wall that would have created this kind of a mark on her head. Uh So this was absolutely 100% not from her fall down the stairs. Definitely some 
foul play involved in it. Exactly. X-rays showed that she had no bruising and no broken bones, which they felt was absolutely suspicious and wouldn't have happened if a woman at the age of 66 had fallen down the stairs. I mean, you would expect to see bruising, broken bones, something about this fall. I mean, she fell kind of a far way. It was sort of a traumatic, you know, quote unquote, she fell. Um, It was sort of a traumatic fall. They did have an idea of what could have caused these injuries, though. There was a candlestick that was in the house that was kind of like on this, like, you know, I don't know, it was displayed. It was, there were two, it was a pair of candlesticks. It was displayed somewhere in the house and they found it. When they took a better look at the hand railing of the balcony, so the balcony that is parallel to the stairs, they found similar circular marks that matched the injuries on Betty's head. Upon searching the home, they, you know, found these candlesticks and they discovered that one of them was actually dented, although they could find no evidence of blood on either of them. In fact, they couldn't find blood anywhere in the home, which was weird. I mean, obviously, she she bled. Right. The EMTs said that they had seen Stephanie and a neighbor cleaning up the blood while they were there taking care of Betty. And a neighbor mentioned that they had seen a wet spot on Steve's shirt as if he, too, was kind of cleaning up. Cleaning himself up. Cleaning the house up. Just cleaning up. The investigators felt sure that if there was blood it would still be there and unfortunately they don't use luminol in this case but on on the night that she fell did was it only like the emt like first responders that showed up at the scene or did police actually go there as well no just the emts came and they had no reason to say like you know stop cleaning that up or no i mean they were taking care of betty at that point so they didn't use luminol, but they did spray um, leucomalachite green on the floor at the beginning of the stairs. And they found a four-foot, or the remains of a four-foot puddle of blood. They decided to interview Stephanie and Steve, and they found that their stories didn't really match. As we talked about earlier... Betty seemed to always kind of be ashamed of Steve because he was never going to be as successful as his father. And, you know, he really was doing harm to their business. But it seemed that Steve had a hatred for his mother, too. He constantly made fun of her and overall just disliked her very, very much. It seemed as though their disagreements always surrounded money as they usually do. And it came to light that Steve had borrowed half a million dollars from his mother and never paid her back. Half a million dollars? Half a million dollars. Whoa. Betty's hairdresser later came forward and spoke to the police. She said that in the days before Betty's murder, Betty told her she planned to take Steve out of the will completely. She was fed up with the way he was making the family name look and the fact that he wasn't able to hold down a job was not okay with Betty at all. 
it turns out that Betty actually died before she was able to change the will, meaning that Steve and his family, including his daughter, Stephanie, would be inheriting Betty's $4 million estate. They knew that both Steve and Stephanie would have motive to lie, so they needed to look further into the forensic evidence to find out the truth of what really happened. They looked at the mark on the wall, and they discovered that that mark had actually been made from bottom to top. So, you know, if the VCR had fallen from the top balcony to the lower stairs, the mark would have been made from top to bottom, but that's not what the evidence said. Right. Steve and Stephanie both said that Betty had fallen over the balcony. However, the balcony was three and a half feet tall and Betty was five and a half feet tall, meaning that the railing was higher than her center of gravity. And that basically means that there's no way she would have been able to fall over that. You know, at least not on her own. She would have needed help. Some Like, she would have had to either... Some sort of force behind her. No, like, jump. Uh, she would have had to jump so that the center of gravity is lower. So that she would have actually fallen. Hmm. There was no way she could have fallen like this on her own. Another interesting thing is that she didn't actually fall straight down, which would have happened if, you know, say... She had fallen over the balcony. She would have fallen straight down in that three-foot sort of gap. But she didn't. She fell over the gap onto the stairs, which was kind of like a, a long way to fall. Like a – she's falling sideways, basically not down. And none of the railing was broken, was it? No. Hmm. So this three-foot gap between the flight of stairs and the balcony parallel above it um, – this whole thing was really made them confused. Basically, for her to have not fallen down the stairs and for her to have fallen where she fell, which is on the stairs, she would have had to jump up and pull the VCR close to her. So she would have had to be making this, like, jump, pull, falling motion. Yeah. Like I said, this will make much more sense once you visualize the stairs. It's it's really hard to describe. Anyway, what's more, her friends, who knew her very well, and she had very many of them, didn't believe that she would have ever even carried a VCR at all. They said that she wouldn't even carry her purse if it was too heavy. <laughs> so that's what I was thinking was, I, I highly doubt if this lady is, you know, kind of lives a privileged lifestyle, that she would be carrying this from downstairs to upstairs because in all likelihood if she has all this money why wouldn't she have multiple vcrs in each different room of the house well exactly so they knew her very well and they didn't believe that she would have carried this at all and in the forensic files episode they do mention and this will make sense to anybody that's ever worn a long skirt that she had been wearing a long nightgown when she fell. Now, if you're wearing a long dress or skirt or nightgown or whatever, and you're walking up the stairs, it's already kind of a hazard. If you're not looking where you're going, there is a possibility that you will trip on your, your nightgown and fall. But for her to be wearing a long nightgown, going up the stairs, 
and carrying a 20 to 30 pound VCR did not make any sense to them. They knew better. They knew her better and they just absolutely did not believe that this would have happened. With all this information, they, you know, investigators knew that the story that Steve and Stephanie had been telling them was not true. Steve was soon ar- Steve, did I say Steve? Mm, I think it was Steve. <laughs> Steve was soon arrested and brought to trial for the death of his own mother. At the time, Steve was in severe debt. He owed money to friends and banks and, you know, his mother and still. Family. Prosecutors believed that on the night of the murder, Steve and Stephanie went to Betty's home to return the VCR that they had borrowed. After an argument over money, Betty started to walk upstairs. In a rage, Steve grabbed the closest thing to him, which was the candlestick, and started hitting her over the head with it. After cleaning himself up, he started to stage the scene, making the gash in the wall, but hitting it with the VCR in the upward direction versus the downward direction. During the trial, the defense entered a video that showed that it would have been possible for Betty to have fallen up and over the balcony. But since the handrail had no damage, prosecutors didn't believe that the defense theory held up at all. However, the jury was unable to come to a consensus, and the first trial ended in a mistrial. Three years later, Steve was brought to court once again. This time, they focused on the wall the molding of the wall, which is where this damage was. They even brought the railing of the home to the court to reenact what they believed had happened. Something else of interest in this particular trial is that Court TV recorded and broadcasted the entire trial. In November of 1994, Steve was found guilty of murder and sentenced to 35 years in prison. Stephen tried to appeal, and he felt he had good reason to. It was discovered that the court had actually lost important documents from the case, including four days' worth of footage taken by court TV from the second trial. The appeal was ultimately denied denied in 2003. The court said that it had been up to Steve to get the tapes and transcripts, but he didn't show any action to do so. And this might be because he didn't think it was his responsibility to do that. He thought that it was the courts, but really it was his responsibility to find the transcript mm. transcripts to this yeah. um, footage. According to mylife.com and the blog Forensic Files Now, Stephen was released from prison in 2014 and now lives in El, Pas- El Paso, Texas. He is currently 74 years old. So then what happened to Stephanie? She basically just happened to be there that night and watch her dad kill her grandmother. Yeah. So they didn't really, they didn't prosecute her. Um, I didn't really find any more information on her. I, I'm not really sure, but she seemed to have known something, whether she was actually in the room when it happened or she wasn't. She obviously knew something. Does it say how old she was? I think she was in of... her twenties. Okay, so she was. She definitely... was. Yeah, she wasn't like a young girl. Yeah. She she was in her twenties. Hmm. So yeah, another interesting episode of Forensic Files. They all are. Yeah. Well, we hope that you enjoyed this episode, and we hope that you'll be here next Tuesday. We release new episodes every Tuesday, and that's all I've got.
Thanks for listening, you guys. You're awesome, and uh, stay tuned for next week. Yeah, see you next time. Bye.